0: In this episode, I speak with Hector Cano. He's based out of El Paso, where he's a high school girls varsity coach, but that's only the start of his story. He's making a huge impact in numerous ways in El Paso and all throughout the state of Texas. His soccer journey story is awesome. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Kieran, Coach's right. Corner chat, and on the show today it's Hector Cano. Did I say that right?
1: Uh, Cano, Cano, Cano
0: is on. Cano, Hector, yeah. give us a little background and idea where you're at and what you're up to.
1: <laughs> well, Coach Boyle, first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I know uh, you're doing some great things um, up in Ohio, and you know, the recent, relatively recent, new launch, uh, of your podcast and you're doing some great stuff. You've had on some tremendous guests already. So I definitely consider, uh, you know, a privilege and an honor to have me on here. So with them, some select company already, but, uh, I'm currently, uh, so I'm the head, head varsity women's soccer coach at Isleta high school, which is located here in El Paso, Texas. Um, for those of you that don't know where El Paso is, it's pretty much as far West as you can go before you're in New Mexico. Um, so when we say West Texas, we mean like far West Texas, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, and it's located. So, you know, for those not familiar really with the location, the geographic location, really it's, uh, you know, from where I live, I'm about 20, 20 to 25 minutes away from two countries and three States, uh, the two countries, obviously the U S and Mexico, and then the three States being Texas, New Mexico, and the state of Chihuahua in Mexico. So, um, uh, my high school itself is high school is you're about literally about physically you're about a two, two to three minute walk from the actual border, I guess you could say. Uh, but in terms of the actual port of entry where you would cross like not even seven, eight minutes away. So in ter- that, so just to give you an idea in terms of geographic location, um, I've been there, uh, I've been at Isla for two years. And uh, we're actually in the middle of our season right now. We're in the thick of it with district play. We're to wrap up um, we're beginning to wrap up the first round of district play. And uh, we're, um, we're off to a pretty decent start in district play right now.
0: What, what exactly is district play? Is that tournament or is that just regular season?
1: Yeah, no, district play is so the way our district is constructed, so in Texas, the way um, high school soccer is laid out on the public side, which is under the, uh, the UIL is the governing body, which is the university interscholastic league. Um, <clears throat> and you have, so the three highest classifications in Texas are the ones that have soccer, which that would be 4A, 5A, and 6A. Um, so within those, uh, within those respective classifications, East is a 5A school district. So we're in the middle. Um <clears throat> excuse me, Isleta is a 5A, uh, is in the 5A classification, and what drives the classifications is all uh, enrollment. It's strictly dr- driven by enrollment. And um, so within those respective uh, classifications, you have districts, for example. So for example, and they span from uh, from West Texas to, to North and East Texas. Um, so that's kind of, so to kind of give you an idea in terms of a kind of a I guess, clockwise, if you were to go around the state of Texas, that's kind of how they're numerically organized. And uh, <clears throat> we are located, we are in district two five a. So, uh, so in district 25 a you have so you this year, because we're just entered a reclassification year, uh, or a realignment year, I should say, there are currently uh, eight schools in our district. So there's us and seven other schools. And the way the district plays laid out, so it's think of it in terms of um, if you would look at it like college soccer or college basketball, college sports conference play, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the way that works is the, our format is even during a COVID year, uh, we're still playing uh, essentially a home and home series. So you play all seven teams away one time and you play all seven teams at home one time for a total of 14 games. In addition to this year, we only had two, uh, two non-district games.
0: So with your, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So now that clears it up. Um, so with your geographic kind of location, I'm, is, that, is there a lot of diversity? What's the makeup of your, of your team in that, in that area?
1: Um, di- diversity is yes and no. Um, I mean, you have, you look at it from the standpoint of it's not uncommon at all in terms of, uh, it's obviously heavy heavy Latino, heavy Mexican, Mexican-American. Um, but the diversity comes into play in terms of having student athletes that are, I guess you could say first, first generation, you know, uh, first generation American, second or third generation American, or even, uh, what is very common here as well is to have student athletes that have family, um, on both sides of the border, uh, right on the other side of the border there in, um, in Ciud- Ciudad Juarez, uh, which is, uh, very big city, very big city in northern Mexico. And um, an interesting fact in terms of the city of Juarez and El Paso is they combine to make the two largest bordering cities in the world. Because uh, you're looking at a population of two bordering cities that are, I think, at about two, I want to say two, 2.2, 2.3 million, somewhere around there. Um, so where I'm going with that is, uh, it's not uncommon to have uh, student-athletes Who have like I said they have family on both sides of the border but they're also you know they may have one parent living in El Paso one parent living living in Juarez or they stay with family you know during the week where they attend school and uh and then they go home on the weekend so uh so it's a good sign it's a really good indication of really knowing who who wants to be here uh who's who's willing to who wants to play who's who wants to represent their community their school and also, and obviously without saying, kind of trying to pursue the American dream.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, how does that affect it? So is this your first time doing a high school setting in coaching wise?
1: No, uh, no. Uh, before, I, uh, before I moved here, I was in, uh, in San Antonio. So I was there for the last five years at a private school there. Um, so, and <clears throat> unlike most states, um, in Texas, public and private schools are completely separate um, in terms of leagues, right? So, um, so the big one on the public side being the UIL, which I just mentioned. And then on the private side, you have the, uh, you have the, two, the two major ones are TAPS, which is the Texas Association of Private and Parochial Schools, and then also SPC, which is uh, the Southwest uh, Preparatory Conference.
0: So off of your experience from, so from San Antonio to now El Paso, um, what, what are some of the, I guess, some of the different ways that maybe you had to coach, maybe the private school in San Antonio versus what you, what you do now, do you kind of go at it a different way?
1: Um, no, no, not really, to be honest. I mean, your, your settings are a little different. You can have a little, um, your depth your depth can vary, the level of talent, how much talent, how much returning talent you have is uh, obviously that can vary. Um, what's probably been the biggest difference is just in terms of the, the, le- the, the level of ability to, to work on development of, of what was coming into the high school. So, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> so for example, the current school where I'm at right now you're, you know, we interact. We interact normally. We we're interactive and supportive of our middle school programs, the the middle school feeder system that feeds into our high school, um, but it's still very limited. It's still very limited. Um, don't really have a whole lot of say. So it is, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> you're just you're involved and you're supportive as best as you can. Whereas in San Antonio, the private school that I was at there, uh, St. Mary's Hall, they um. So it was a, it was a very unique perspective or a very unique setting because you had a a uh, lower school, a middle school and an upper school, a high school all in one location. Right. <clears throat> so. So and as a private school, when I uh, when I got there, what we did was we we created a a lower school soccer program, which inevitably with the, the intent was really ultimately. um kind of by the numbers, trying to grow the game, grow knowledge of the game, grow support, and also community outreach with the parents, bring the parents on as, uh, as support coaches, volunteer coaches. Um, and then we brought in some of our players, some of my high school players to help out. So that materialized into almost what kind of became like a mini, I guess, mini academy system, if you will, at, at the lower school. So you had a lot of you had a lot of direct say um, as early as first grade um, as to how the kids were being trained, uh, being able, being able to work with them, interact with them, um, who was training them, how they were being trained. And then as they went through the middle school and then ultimately got up to the high school.
0: That's awesome to have that, that ability to start tapping yeah. into them when they're younger. Cause I, as you would probably agree, getting them young and getting them passionate about the game is like, is so important, especially if you're building a program toward the high school level uh, and beyond. Does, yeah. yeah. so one of the Absolutely. things I know that you're passionate about is, um, is connecting with coaches. So like we've connected on Twitter mm-hmm. and all that st- stuff. And I, you have something that you've put together. What is it that you're, you're trying to put together uh, within the state of Texas to kind of uh, bring coaches together and, and, and unite them?
1: Yeah, so um, so one of the one of the many ways in which um, we're trying to make some headway, <clears throat> both here here locally in El Paso and across the state, is uh, you know there's we're looking at many things obviously, but one of them one of them has been the because I'm a character leadership and college recruiting consultant, so uh, you know I work with a lot of um, working with coaches. You know, high school coaches reaching out with college coaches and then working with programs on the club side as well. Um, And then with individual student and athletes on the, uh, the, you know, introducing them, parents, working with parents as well, introducing them as they enter the college recruiting process and kind of kind of making headway on the do's and don'ts. Right. Uh, The kind of breaking down, separating myth from fact. And, uh, you know, so that's one of them. And then, and and along the way to uh, part of that is I've been able to collaborate uh, pretty extensively with a uh, a student a high school student athlete uh, marketing uh, marketing and recruiting platform out here, uh, which is Prep One. So Prep One, they're based out of El Paso, and uh, you know their CEO and founder uh, Jesse Tovar, he's doing tremendous things not just here in El Paso and but throughout West Texas and. Spreading out throughout uh, throughout the state as well, so we've been able to collaborate quite a bit and working with them pretty extensively and doing great things. And then the other one, <clears throat> excuse me, the other one has been uh, the the launch of uh, of my podcast, the Fifty Fifty Podcast, um, along with you know myself, uh, small crew where we're putting things together, and I got a tremendous producer and a shout out to to T. I call him T Man, Aaron Tavidas. He's my, uh, my producer, um, and we were able to launch. You know, I've been talking for a while. I've been thinking about this, sitting, sitting on it for probably over, I'd say, about a year to a year and a half. And ironically, I went, uh, I went on a podcast, a, a totally different podcast that he produces and uh, that Aaron produces. And uh, we had, you know, we had some conversations well after the podcast and he just kind of put it out there. It's like, hey, had you, have you ever really thought about, you know, creating one, putting one together and hosting one? Because he, he said he thought that, you know, there was a lot of, there was some potential there in terms of ideas and what we were trying to do. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, after about, I'd say about three months of development and production, uh, December, uh, December 14th actually was our launch day, December 14th of 2020. And, uh, we've been at it now for going on two months now.
0: Um, and so has it been, has it been, uh, the experience that you thought it would be as it, like, is it what you would want from the experience or is it like every time you're learning something new about yourself, about coaching, about the whole experience?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's, you, you kind of go into it, um, Anxious, nervous, not entirely knowing what to expect, but also just excited. And uh, you know, I went into it. I went into it not really entirely knowing what to expect. What I didn't want to anticipate too much, and get. I didn't want to get caught up in the in the numbers in terms of the metro data, right? As far as downloads, listens, but more stick to stick to the mission, right? Stick to the purpose. Stick to the the vision of where we're, you know, where we're trying to go, what we're about and where we're trying to go. Um, and I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that a lot of, uh, you know, when you look at podcasts, because I, I think for me, I've been a big podcast fan since way before they were, they were a thing before they were in, you know, I, I'd say probably since about oh six oh seven, you know, um, and now you know, now there's like well over, I don't know, they say a million, a million and a half to 2 million podcasts. But what I noticed is when I would research a lot of them, the real number is more like how many of those are active, right? Because when you do the research, uh, most of them don't last more than six months, because they immediately, they, you know, they kind of sway from the mission or the vision, or, you know, or they do evolve. And then they, they kind of lose confidence in the fact that their numbers aren't growing kind of as fast or as much as they would have liked. So they kind of give up, right? So, um, so I kind of went into this knowing that trying to, um, with, I guess, the big picture in it for the long term, that kind of uh, treating it like a marathon, not a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, we've had tremendous guests already. Uh, we're launch- we actually launch our eighth episode, eighth episode drops tomorrow and um we've had great guests so far i've had um we've had some great interviews and then i, I think the other <laughs> the other part of the of what i take from just learning from other people um the other part that i i think that i take from the podcast is the stuff that the stuff that is discussed off air you know either before or after the actual interviews uh-huh. um you know that's that's a lot of really good stuff. It's a lot of funny stuff too. And then, you know, and then also, you know, prepping what I realized and what I was going to do anyway, because I'm, I'm a prepper is, um, <laughs> is, is research for the podcast. Cause there's, you know, the, ours is ours is done in segments. So there's a first segment, uh, kind of an intro where I come in for a couple of minutes of the, uh, monologue, we dive into the interview and then we come back for the final segment where it's kind of a second, Second monologue, a close, you know, we're uh, an outro, I guess, uh, segment, if you will. And in there, we're, we're looking at different things in terms of the state of the game. We're looking at rankings. We're looking at upcoming games. We're trying to highlight players, players to watch programs that are on the rise, different trends. So we're, we're really trying to, uh, you know, we say that we're dedicated, that we're about uh, we're dedicated uh, to the people. It's about the people. And for the people that are dedicated uh, to the beautiful game, um, and that's really our focus. So uh, I think we're trying to take the approach. I'm trying to take the approach that we're in it for the in it for the long haul, and we're hoping uh, hoping to have success.
0: That is so cool. It's um, and that's kind of the way I've gone about it. Is like, look, I'm going to get this together. I'm going to get a ton of value from the experience, um, and then hopefully it goes out. And even if it affects you know one or two coaches and they take something from it, and I'm with you. I've numerous times we've, sh- I've like shut the episode down and then we talk for another 20 minutes and I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I stop the episode early? <laughs> right, right. This stuff is killer. Right. Um, or like you said, you start finding a little bit more um, about some of the things um, about coaches. You kept mentioning like mission, purpose, vision. Is that something that's like consistent across the board? And like, where did that come about? Like, where did that kind of get ingrained in you that you're now looking beyond like I haven't heard anything about like I'm here to get results or I'm here to win championships it really sounds like even with the recruiting thing what a great opportunity for those those student athletes you're talking about that are shaped like the American dream that now can have maybe an avenue to get to the college level because of the skill they have or as I'm sure you found from discussions like I've had with parents and players they know nothing about the recruiting process and some of the things that go into it. So right. where did this whole, my, is, it, is it just the podcast? But I'm assuming it's probably bigger than that. It's kind of a life thing that you live.
1: Right, yeah. I think, you know, and it's kind of one of those where I got to be careful when I go because this kind of becomes uh, Pandora's box and I get on, I get on my soul box, right? <laughs> but um, no, I think that a lot of it is rooted in just simply calling you know, calling and purpose versus versus job, right? As a coach, um, as a, as a coach, we we have to we have to be in this for the right reasons. Our our heart has to be true. We have to have, you know, the right, you know, great intent the whole time, um, because there's so much. There's kind of so much at stake there, and we can have such a tremendous impact, um, not just by what we what we say or what we do, but how we you know how we make people feel um because that can stay with them for a lifetime and uh, <clears throat> so you know one of the things that i do it's like I, I kind of i i just view the profession i take great pride in it and i view it as a as an ongoing a never-ending craft right so as a coach or i'm talking as a coach here um and then also just my you know you talk about the the love for the game my love for the game and i think a lot of it a lot of it has been rooted in um the in terms of the game in in this country as far as you know the the divisiveness whether it be just you know pro you know pro pro versus college or you shouldn't go to college you should try to go straight to pro uh and then there's just layers to it within pro it's like well you really shouldn't be in this country you should be just on strictly in europe uh college it's divisive from the standpoint of divisions right and then um uh, and I get it from the competitive perspective, but sometimes it's also trying to explain that to, to a recruit in the college recruiting process and a parent that you, you it's about the right fit, not uh, not the division, right, not the level. Um, so, and then you look at it, and then when you go into the youth, into the youth level, there's divisiveness, dis- divisiveness there as well between um, club and high school, right? And for me, I think you know when I talk about mission as a coach, mission as the podcast, uh, you know, I'm a big character and leadership guy. And I think that part of what was big kind of gave me that big push to go ahead and finally just launch the podcast was um, I think leadership, leadership, you have to demonstrate that leadership consistently. And, uh, and I can, you know, you can qu- it's easy to question from the sideline. It's easy to say, well, why do they do this? Why do they do that? So rather than contribute to the problem, you know, I kind of wanted to go out there, see what I can actually contribute, right? So through guests, through interviews, through bringing in college coaches, introducing them to high school, you know, high school student athletes and parents across the state to, you know, one of the big focuses of our, um, of our platform with the podcast is trying to reach out to parents, give, giving parents a platform where they can go and listen um, and maybe take, even if it's just one nugget, right? One pointer that they take in terms of, the recruiting process from a, from a college coach that was on. Um, And again, going back to the do's and the don'ts and breaking down separating myths, myths from facts, because oftentimes, because it's a daunting task. And if you're a parent, not in the game, didn't play the game. um, And all of a sudden you have a, you know, you have a son or daughter at home that is really wanting to make this their focus and go play and play at the next level. It can be a daunting task you can be left with where do i go well what, what i don't i don't know what i don't know and i don't know where to begin so and we're not saying that our podcast is going to answer everything but we just kind of wanted to be just one more outlet one more platform and uh so yeah so i think you know that's part of the mission there and i think it's part of growing you know growing the game rather than trying to uh, complain about all the divisiveness is trying to be a unifier at least wherever wherever I'm at, right, locally, and then work your way out from there. Uh, is it always going to be the case? Is everyone going to see it the way you do? No, and and that's fine. That's that's okay. I think that's that's what's supposed to make us stronger. That's what's supposed to make this better. So, but as long as we can work together and learn from each other, I think that's what, I think ultimately I think that's that's what it's about. And you know, we talk about mission. You know, mission in terms of what we're trying to do for the game, and then you know, to our mission is what, you know, what we're doing day to day, our vision is ultimately where we're trying to go. Uh, So, you know, and I think as long as we we stay true to that, and what we're about, and remember who really, when I say the podcast, who we're working for, um, I think we'll be okay.
0: That is is so stinking cool. I love the soapbox you just hopped on. That's your, that's a good spot. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) That's a good spot for you. So, um, growing up, were you, were you a soccer player all the way up? And then that's kind of been your love or how did you end up kind of getting into this spot where you're as passionate as you are about the game?
1: Yeah, it was kind of a, I wouldn't say a love, hate. It was just kind of a, a strange, I strayed away from the game. You know, I was a multi, I was a multi-sport athlete. Um, and then as I entered high school, um, I also, you know, I, you know, I also uh, boxed also was a boxer and I was trying to challenge um, when it was the uh, I when I realized I had a legitimate shot to contend and to challenge for the uh, the 1996 Olympic trials. Uh, you know, when you get to that level, you really have to hone in and focus. Right. So so I had to kind of put I had to put, you know, and, and of course, I think, as you know, you know, we're talking in the mid 90s here, early 90s, mid 90s. Youth soccer then wasn't what it is now. You know, MLS didn't even exist, right? So just to give you, so I can date myself a little. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, you know, so I kind of had to put soccer on hold with, and then the intent became really to, you know, to contend, uh, contend for the trials, you know, do everything I can to uh, challenge for, for a spot, uh, either as obviously as the champion or as an alternate on the 96 Olympic team or if not, you know, and then ultimately, you know, try to go pro after that. And, um, you know, it didn't didn't come to fruition, uh, just because I lost, I lost out, I lost to, you know, quality competition. And then after that, uh, when the intent was still kind of to really try to consider going pro, I just, you know, typical 18 year old kid thought I knew it all didn't want to listen to, you know, my manager and my trainer. And, you know, so I decided to, shut it down completely for a while. And then I always, always had a thing for the military. I always knew I come from a military family, uh, throughout my family, not just my, you know, my immediate family, but, um, Mm -hmm. I knew at some point, eventually just, I, I wanted to see the world. I wanted to go out and do things and I knew I was going to get school done. I knew I was going to get college done. I just wasn't in the minds, in the, in the mindset to, to go to school right then and there. And, uh, so I decided to join in the military. After that, right after high school, uh, join. Uh, I enlisted in the Air Force, and then I just kind of said, "It's like, hey, if it's if it's meant to be, if it's meant to be for me to go pro, I'll uh, try to try to go, uh, you know, go pro through the Air Force through my time, because it's happened with fighters training in the military." Um, and so that worked for a little while, but then I ultimately, you know, I was stationed in Europe. I was stationed in Europe and that's what in Europe is what really kind of finally brought me back to the game. Um, so I was, uh I ended up, you know, playing in some basically some base teams, varsity teams, and then ended up playing, uh, playing semi-pro ball there in Italy, uh, Italy and Germany while I was there. And then a couple of injuries getting banged up. So then I started, you know, just started assisting, started coaching a little bit. And that's kind of really where, where I really got the, the taste and started to get the bug, you know, uh, for, for wanting to, you know, maybe consider coaching, or I shouldn't say consider coaching forever, but I realized that, Hey, I, I really, I take to this. Well, I really, I, I could, you know, I, I love this. This is awesome. And I love the game. And then, you know, down the road, I, you know, I would have never imagined that I'd be doing this forever, but yeah, I no regrets.
0: Uh, oh, wow. So um, the boxing type experience. So what did what was your big takeaway from uh, like if you do you ever say if I go, if I could go back, what would be something you might have done differently when in terms of that whole Olympic experience that you think maybe now that you're like you said, I was a young kid, dude at that point, And I was just going in mm-hmm. brash. I felt pretty good about what I was doing. Uh, what's something when you look back and you think maybe if I had gone about it this way, maybe a different result, or do you think it was what it was? Like you said, there were better guys at that time, talent wise. And it actually put me in a direction that that's where I'm at now in my life because of that experience.
1: Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're young, when you're that age, you, you know, you tend to think, you know, it all, you tend to not listen to the people that have experienced life or, um, or you don't want to take those you know, you don't want to take those uh, recommendations because you think, uh, not not me, right? I'm, bu- I'm bulletproof or, you know, I'm not you. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, those first couple of years, yeah, that's that's your natural thinking is, well, man, I should have done this. I should have done that. and And then you come to a certain point where, you come to a certain point where you just, I guess it's a further sign of maturing where you just, you start to realize that, you can't live in you can't live in the was, you got to live in the is, right? You have to um, stop looking at what could have, you know, what could have, should have, would have, stop feeling sorry for yourself and press on. And um, do I have to say if I could go back and change a couple of, I mean, the only thing I think I would really go back and change, and it's very important for, I think, for student athletes, for teenagers to really let this sink in a little bit is, you know, to, to listen, the people that that you trust the, you know, the older people in the position of authority um, that you look up to Uh, obviously your parents, but that that goes without saying, but even within your circle, uh, your inner circle of people, of position of authority, coaches, what have you is to really listen to them, like dive into their wisdom. You know, um, I think that's the only thing I would go, I would do differently in terms of stop and listen if, if anything else, because I wasn't listening, you know, I wasn't listening back then. And, um, but otherwise I think to question, to, to go into, to dive into it beyond that and to start questioning everything I think is to, is to kind of really, I guess, admit that there's regret for how things have played out because I, because I don't, I think, I think all of those things along the way in that journey, they, they inevitably, they ultimately shape us into, you know, it sounds cliche, but they shape us into who we are and, um, you know, and and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change it a bit. I think, I think the only true. thing I would change is maybe not, maybe not stop playing soccer
0: <laughs> for a while, for a good while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. The cool thing about that experience, I think, is that because you went through it, and you started to chase a dream, and it maybe didn't work out, but you're able to share like what you took from it. And I think that's something for sure that you're with your mission and vision and and purpose that you have with your, your high school group, with your recruiting, like, I'm sure you're like sharing that with them constantly. Like, look, man, I was in your spot. I had talent. I had the gift. I had opportunities. I'm here to support you. Take it in. Don't just kind of bounce it off your forehead and just be move on. So I think it's really cool that your life story where you're at now can is real. And look where you're
1: at now. Yeah, I tell my, I tell my student athletes all the time, especially, or even, you know, uh, student athletes that I'm consulting, I tell them, it's like, when I'm, when I'm speaking to them, and we're kind of getting into something heavy, something very important, I tell them to, you know, I give them the visual of close one ear, so it doesn't go in one and out the other. <laughs> um, and for some reason, that works, that sticks. Um, but, uh, or, or at least so I've been told, I don't know how true that is, but um, yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things I'll tell the student athletes is um, obviously consider the source that you're getting advice from, that you're get, receiving recommendations from, understand it, it's okay to question. I think you one of the things that, that we've kind of lost sight of a little bit in terms of, uh, um, I don't know, whether you want to call it a society, a younger generation, what have you, is to encourage critical thinking. Um, I, don't, I don't think that is stressed enough anymore. Um, So it's okay to, to question, but not question for the sake of questioning authority question for the sake of understanding, right. Of, of like, okay, you're sharing this with me. Why, you know, what can I, what can I gain from it? Um, And I think that uh, what I tell my student athletes all the time is why would you want to take advice from an individual who has always gotten it right? And who's never experienced failure, who's never experienced adversity, right? Because I mean, what, what are they going to share with you? You know, that that's not, that's not where growth happens. That's not where growth happens. Growth comes from resistance. Right. So, um, so I share that with them all the time. And, you know, usually there's at least one light bulb that goes off. So I think it's, I think it's making some headway.
0: The, the cool thing too, I think from the, the boxing thing is it, you were, your focus was so much more on not just the outcome. Yours is more of the process and the journey and like what you went through Um, and then the idea of the listening, I think like you even said it earlier about when you were talking to coaches about, um, the difference between professional and college and some of the divisiveness that's going on there. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I feel like people kind of take a stand, but then they don't want to listen to the other side. So the fact that you're starting with these younger student athletes, like, look, man, it's okay. If you don't agree with like maybe what I'm pushing you toward, like, I think you fit this type of whatever school that you go to and you think something else, then bring what you like, bring some background information that you think is relevant that to your argument and we'll work through it. I think, like you said, um, we've lost that. It's pretty much, this is what I think, or this is what I think. Uh, I see it all the time with soccer. It's like, Oh, you have to, Oh, uh, you know, they see a one minute clip of a video and then they all of a sudden think they understand what, what needs to be fixed in the video and all this stuff. And they have no idea of, team makeup, um, what those kids are dealing with. Like when I watch, I, what my team is here in, you know, North of Cincinnati is dealing with completely different situations than what you're dealing with in El El Paso. So, you know, so I think that's huge. Um, the other thing, Europe, what was, what was the environment and culture of soccer over in Europe as compared to what most people see here in, in America?
1: I mean, simply put, it's not, uh, you know, it's again, cliche, but it's not, it's not a sport there. It's a, it's a religion, right? It's a religion. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're playing, you know, in the, you know, 37th division of semi pro ball, or if it's, you know, the top levels, you know, Serie A or the, you know, Bundesliga, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're going to go all out, you know, they're there to compete. And, and I loved it, you know, I loved it. And, uh, you know, and being able to be, being able, being able to be a handful, uh, one of handful of a handful of Americans, I should say, on some of these teams, it was it was pretty cool because that again, that's the beauty of the sport, right? Is, um, you know, I was definitely at the time very limited on my German. Uh, I'm fluent fluent in Italian, but I was limited on my German, especially in the beginning. And, you know, there, you know, a lot of the you know German teammates that I played with. They were, uh, and, and they weren't always all, you know, they weren't, like, some of them were, were immigrants as well, where they were just, you know, first, they were just maybe first generation, you know, German as well, uh, from different countries in Europe. And uh, so all kinds of different languages spoken, and yet, regardless of how much we understood, we understood the game, Right. And that's that was the again, the unifier. And, you know, it's just it's it's an awesome thing, even on its worst day in terms of whether it's horrible, weather or you're playing horrible or an injury or something happens, you know, or, you know, uh, tempers get heated, something even on its worst day. It's it, it, it was awesome. It's it was a learning experience in itself. Uh,
0: was the coach what what nationality was the coach in that mix?
1: They were both uh, they were both nationals. They're uh, both German and uh, Italian,
0: oh, so they could speak to both kind of the mixes that were.
1: Yeah, the the German coach we had, he was pretty um, he he was pretty good in terms of understood English well, and he was pretty good about getting um, you know at least the head coach of he could kind of broken up and he could get the get the message across. Um, but a couple of the assistant, the assistants were younger and they were very, um, they were pretty, pretty well versed in both, um, English and German. Well, obviously German, but, um, English as well. They just, I think what they would struggle with from time to time is how there could be, you know, there could be, you know, a couple of different Americans on the team. And for example, you'll have a kid like me from Texas, You know and a kid you know from the south whether it be like you know i don't know we'll just you know we'll say georgia or something and then a kid from from boston or jersey right and so they're trying to adjust to uh sometimes really not only not so much the accents because in the in the military you you inevitably kind of lose the accent for the most part but just kind of the whether it's that jersey or you know that northeast jersey or You know, Boston slang versus in the South, or, you know, what I may be saying, you know, being a Texas boy. uh, Sometimes that was where it kind of, that's where they got their crash course, where they, what they were learning from
0: us. So it was
1: pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's so, that's like a, uh, some type of uh, sociology kind of like, or psychology kind of uh, test of people into it. And and to
1: think, to think this, to think this happens on every, every pro soccer team around the world right i mean of course of course your high level pros they have translators and all kinds of additional resources that they can throw at it but um, you know it's one of the fascinating one of the fascinating things about soccer players is it's not uncommon to have an entire roster of guys that speak you know or are very comfortable with three four five languages right so that fascinates me
0: yeah that's amazing cuz i know just even here in the States, you know, some people call it a one, two, some people call it a give and go. Like there's even different terminology Mm -hmm. within the U S that's kind of what I thought you were going to go for too, as well It's not just the slang, but you know, a guy that's been playing soccer up in Jersey versus what you've been playing in Texas. Some of the terminology, even though they're the same, like even our, like we play our league in the fall for high school you guys are playing now uh so it's you know there's even within yeah, yeah. our you know our countries there's so many differences in that way um
1: well it put it put me in a position to learn it was later I would come to realize at that moment I would come to later realize the importance of you know of body language and because you know because you know we as coaches we emphasize communication specific communication Every day to our teams, right? It just it never ends. Um, you know, with my team now, you know, we'll we'll do an activity. It doesn't matter if it's a warm up. Doesn't matter if it's a small sided game, expanded, small sided, or even in a scrimmage, right? And we're, we're making some coaching points. Um, anytime we come in, call them in right away. It, it never fails. Communication is one of the very first things that comes up. But my time in Europe, what I quickly realized. And it would come back to me years later, obviously years later being now is the importance of, cause as much as we stress communication, so much of it in the game is just like in life, right? So much of it is nonverbal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and being deliberate with your actions and being predictable with your actions for your teammates around you. Um, so yeah, that it obviously was a, was a kind of a crash course in all of that, especially communication.
0: That is so cool. We, and communication is something I, I think is key. And we've, even this past month, our our kind of focus or theme for the month of January was body language. So it was we always call the boys just head, knees, or head, shoulders, knees, and toes. So your head's up, shoulders are back, you're active, knees and toes, you're like on your toes, you're constantly. Um, and like you said, even if there was no word spoken, I'm sure there were kind of things where like pointing or... Uh, body shape and all that type of stuff that you start it probably made some of your your decision making stuff even that much better because you couldn't rely on someone telling you to play to my feet. You just had to you know start figuring the, that chemistry side out. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and it's amazing. You know, sometimes you know that, um, and I'm sure you've seen it as a coach too. Sometimes um, that chemistry with a player or select group of players, it. Normally it takes a little while. obviously it's, you know, it goes without saying, but the things that fascinate me are sometimes when you put two players together that just very don't know each other very much or whatever. And they just immediately compliment each other and it just clicks. Uh, Those, those are the kind of things that, you know, we, we try to look out for as coaches and, but, and when they do happen, you know that they're special and I just, I I love seeing them.
0: So, amazing kind of life story to get you where you're at now you're making all kinds of awesome impact value wise uh within el paso um even beyond what what is is it you talked about vision what is your do you have a, a large vision or kind of you've been talking about like look i'm not in it for the likes and the follows um but i'm in this to bring value and purpose and mission to people um where do you see Hector going in the next five, 10 years, uh, with all of this that you've got going on? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I, that's a, that's a constant vector, right. That I'm asking myself as far as, you know, how do I, you know, how do I know, how how do we gauge progress? How do we gauge just like coaches, right. When we ask ourselves with our teams, how do we, how do we measure success? Right. Um, so I think that, um, I think, I think in terms of, in terms of mission, uh, It's to continue, to continue, I guess, continue building the desire, a coach's desire to want to be a coach and, and emphasizing, you know, emphasizing the uh, transformational over transactional, um, the, the legitimacy, the legitimacy and professionalism of, of high school soccer coaches in this country. And, and, so, and I think that's, that's a whole other, you know, we start talking about whether it's just bureaucracy or how things have been in this country, you know, that's a whole other layer of red tape in terms of administrations, uh, you know, obviously principals, uh, athletic coordinators, athletic directors at the high school level in terms of developing, um, developing coaches, developing soccer coaches, encouraging soccer coaches, requiring soccer coaches, um, to get coaching, you know, coaching, education, professional development uh, at the high school level. Um, that it's not just about, you know, it, it goes without saying in terms of football and basketball, but that it's um, where this country is headed in terms of the sport of soccer. And, uh, and, and I think just st- strengthening the, the legitimacy and the, you know, the, I guess for lack of better words, I mean this in a good way, the professionalism, and uh, the professional development of, uh, of high school coaches. So this way, the, the stereotype is kind of goes by the wayside that, you know, because part of what got me in the high school game, <clears throat> excuse me, part of what got me in the high school game was, you know, I got tired of the, the stereotype of, well, you, you basically had in, in many cases, not always, but just generally speaking, college coaches and high school coaches bickering in terms of, well, club coaches are just in it for the money, right? High school coaches, they don't know what they're doing. And they just, they're throwing a football guy in there and calling him a soccer coach. And he just rolls, the, he or she just rolls the ball out. Right. And, and, and or they just run, they run laps all the time for a warmup. Right. So that kind of stuff. Right. So, so when I got to San Antonio um, and I was, uh, well, I was in grad school you know, I reached out, I reached out to a friend and that I was coaching club with because I was coaching club. And I said, Hey, I, I, I'm kind of interested in experiencing, I want to experience high school soccer myself, right? Cause I'm, I'm kind of a dive in and experience kind of person rather than just, well, I'm, I, I don't want to experience this because somebody told me that this, this, and this, and, and I should stay away from it. So
0: i picked that up. So I don't, you know, I,
1: yeah, I, I put that out there and I, and, you know, I, I ended up, You know, I rather than contribute to the problem, I wanted to experience it myself. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. It was what I started to realize is a lot of these high school coaches when I was at St. Mary's Hall there in San Antonio. But as we played um, schools in Houston, playing schools in Dallas, schools in Austin, schools even down in, you know, Corpus Christi and the Rio Grande Valley is a lot of, (laughs) ironically, a chunk of these coaches were also these high school coaches were also club coaches And an overwhelming majority of them were professional, you know, had really good knowledge and understanding of the game, were dedicated to the game and were dedicated to the, you know, the personal, you know, personal and professional development of their student athletes. Um, So, and I would have never known that or truly, you know, truly believed that had I not experienced it. And, um, And so, yeah, I think it's a matter of just, it's trying to, Further that cause, further, further the uh, not the argument, but the the understanding, the the fight, I guess, for the legitimacy of the of the high school game in this country. Um, because I think it's in too many circles, it's still viewed as an afterthought. It's it's all about club and club only, and uh,
0: um,
1: and I and I think they I think they can easily coexist and and support each other
0: there's so many great nuggets, like just from the the time that we've chatted um, and what have you. If people want to connect with you, they want to follow up, maybe get some more information on character development or the recruiting thing, or just um, check out the podcast. What are some great ways to get connected with you?
1: Yeah. um, So Twitter, I'm uh, pretty busy, pretty active on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, you can find you connect with me personally. You can find me at uh, at Coach H Cano. So that's Coach H, the letter H, and then my last name Cano, C A N O. Uh, and then the podcast on Twitter. Uh, in terms of just general information, stuff that we're putting out there, supportive, uh, call because we cover obviously high school, club, and college soccer in the state of Texas. Um, you can find us at fifty underscore fifty pod. That's at fifty underscore fifty pod. And then you can also, um, on Instagram, we are at 50 underscore 50 podcast. Um, and then as far as the actual, um, the actual podcast itself, we're on all major podcast platforms. And we're part of the uh, A Day in the Life network. So this is where it can get a little tricky. Um, so the easiest way to find us is you go, for example, Spotify or Apple, right? Apple podcast, you just enter A Day in the Life, colon unplugged. And then that's where you'll find all the episodes of the 50, 50 podcast. So that's a day in the life colon unplugged. And then that's where you'll find us. And uh, we're, you know, really excited to be part of the day in the life uh, network because they got, uh, the plan is there in terms of uh, the network it, to grow the network as well is to have uh, other podcasts on there. And the plan is other sports, different sports and ha- have it on there where we're all, all about the same message Tailored towards you know specific sports, uh, or maybe specific uh, audiences, maybe, but still, still in the end, still all about the same thing. And uh, so there's there are plans to launch a, a couple of podcasts. I think sometime late this spring. I think.
0: So is is the day in the life something that you've come up with, or had someone else put it, and you were like, well, I love the idea. I'd like to be a part of it.
1: No, Day in the Life is actually run by so Project Play, uh, Project Play El Paso. So, so, again, that's my producer, uh, Aaron Tavidas. That's, uh, that's his, you know, his, his baby that he's, he's put together, his, uh, um, his behemoth. And he's got, you know, you talk about vision and, you know, great plans in terms of what, you know, what they have, what they have in store. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's, He's he's overseeing that. And uh, right now there's two podcasts on that network and with like I said, with the plan, I think to add about two or three more late spring, early summers, somewhere along along those lines.
0: That's awesome. That's cool to, to have an actual channel and then within it have a, a mixture of variety of options within that. So you get to hear kind of like you were talking about what we were talking before about, or maybe even during about listening to other people's podcasts, and you pick up nuances and 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 learn some things. So that's really yeah. cool to be able to take in your info and then um, others and what have you. So, but I'm going to wrap this thing up, Hector. I really right. appreciate it. this has been so, so stinking awesome. This is Karen coaches corner chats and I'm out. Peace.